นโมทัสสะบุคควะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคควะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคควะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสะA beautiful photograph of one of our senior monks in Thailand, Ajahn Siripanyo, receiving alms food from his mother at the entrance to Wat Nana Chat in Thailand. Some of you might even remember Ajahn Siripanyo in his previous incarnation when he was a university student in Edinburgh and uh, used to come here. In fact, helped build the Dhamma Hall uh, many, many years ago. Anyway, a very nice photo of him receiving alms food from his mother, and then the the Dhamma quote. Uh, most people wouldn't know that it was uh, his mother, but uh, still, it uh, it fits regardless. Uh, where Ajahn Chah points out that he says, uh, "You are here today because your mother and father have helped you in so many ways. You owe them a vast debt of gratitude." So I've been uh, contemplating this teaching the last few days, and um, in anticipation of of sharing something this evening, and one of the things that quickly came to my mind is you know, regarding teachings like this uh, about some wholesome virtue. Um, if you owe gratitude to your parents. One part of my mind, of course, is uh, inspired and encouraged to hear um, such beautiful words, and uh, particularly spoken by Zen Cha, somebody who I really, uh, clearly respect and trust. But there's also echoes in my mind of uh, the whole territory of of being told you're supposed to be good and better than the way you are. You're not good enough the way you are. You're supposed to become more grateful. You selfish brat. And so these echoes are not to be dismissed. I don't know whether anybody else has such echoes when they read these teachings. I suspect they possibly do. Uh, we can dismiss them, and I know for myself, uh, I, I um, when uh, for many years I, I felt I didn't want to pay attention to. Uh, such unpleasant feelings, and and anyway, I didn't really believe that we had to make ourselves good. I thought, my faith, my conviction was that that goodness was inherent in pure consciousness, and so what I needed to do was just to really go for pure consciousness. And what was getting in the way of pure consciousness was this great big massive sense of self. And so, my commitment and practice for many years was just to go as deep as I could and. 
and do what I needed to do to try and undo this agonizing tangle, this agonizing knot of self-obsession, selfishness. And, and uh, so practicing things like generosity and meditation on loving kindness and such things would, would just irritate me. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. I wanted to go for the real uh, direct, deepest teachings. Now, I think that's, uh, that's all very understandable and that we have uh, faith in the deep teachings of the Buddha and, and have an inclination to address the core issues like this painful, agonizing uh, state of constriction that we all suffer from. That's obviously uh, uh, very important. However, if that's all we do, and thankfully eventually I came to realize that there's more we can do that helps this pursuit. Of course, that's, that's what the Buddha referred to in the, uh, the Heartwood Sutta as, as, as the heart of the matter. That's where we need to be going. You don't want to just settle for the bark or the softwood. We've got to go right through to the heartwood. But uh, you don't get to the heartwood without passing the outer aspects of the tree. And so uh, it's also my, my conviction that there's a lot we can be doing on the level of cultivating goodness, which helps, which makes a difference. And uh, one of the images that uh, comes to my mind is, is like kick-starting something. I'm old enough to remember that when I was a kid at uh, Sunday school uh, many years ago, Moronsville Presbyterian Church and uh, this uh, aged old fellow used to come to church in a car that he used to have to crank to get it going and uh, DRF Campbell I think was his name that uh, interesting that isn't it I can remember something that happened um, 60 years ago or 55 years ago and I <laughs> can't remember what happened yesterday but anyway DRF Campbell after church you'd get out there and to get his car going you'd get the crank in and you'd kind of do the thing now. Probably a lot of young people have never seen anything like that happen. And, uh, but you, you get the metaphor, you get the image that um, you put this external mechanical effort, get the engine going, and then it gets going of its own accord. And I think, for me, that fits with some of these um, practices that we're encouraged to cultivate. Like, for instance, the the cultivation of gratitude or the cultivation of, of generosity. Um, uh, also another virtue that, that one could see is lacking in one's character. You say, well, I, I'll wait till I realize pure consciousness and then generosity will happen spontaneously. Loving kindness will happen spontaneously. You know, well, you might end up being a, a miserable narcissist for a very long time before you, know, you get the real thing. You know, so a little bit of kind of cranking up goodness or kick-starting the process is not a bad thing. And uh, I've spoken before about uh, my experience with generosity and how I actually really had to kind of boot myself into giving away a jar of honey when, when uh, a fellow uh, bhikkhu was very unwell at another monastery and, and somebody was going to that monastery and asked did I want to send something to my friend. And, I had the inspiring thought, oh yes, I could give this jar of honey that I've just been given. But then that was quickly followed by, oh no, I don't get given honey off and not give him something else. And then that was followed by, oh, how shameless, you should give it. And then this to and fro, to and fro, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, kind of painful, agonizing tussle between 
virtue and lack of virtue and and that I was very familiar with. But for whatever reason, on that occasion, thank goodness, I actually gave myself a little push and almost threw this jar of honey at the person. And, and, and then when I think about it afterwards, I thought, well, that was good. It's, okay, it's a conventional egoic level of practice, but what happened then was the momentum of selfishness didn't win. And I feel good about that. I feel really good that I'm not a totally selfish, miserable case. And so that goodness is a condition. That goodness, the gladness, is a condition for future moments of arising of wholesomeness. And so even if cultivating synthetic gratitude or synthetic generosity approximates the real thing, it's not the real thing, uh, I, think, I think it's useful to work on that level. And, and it can be very transformative. Uh, I was remembering earlier today, thinking about this theme, how my attitude towards conventional religion was was uh, somewhat transformed when I arrived in Thailand and uh, because of the way I was brought up I, um, I deeply distrusted, disliked and didn't want anything to do with organized religion ever again, thank you very much. Something that was kind of portrayed as something scientific or whatever I could perhaps, you know, I could feel drawn to but nothing like ancient religion. Until when I saw these people in Thailand and how generous they were and how comfortable they were in their generosity, how spontaneous they were. And the, the one particular incident I remember uh, being very impressed by was this one lady gave a bag of oranges to somebody she saw. And that second, that lady, as soon as she got a bag of oranges, she gave half away to her friend. And I thought, oh, well, the original donor, when she saw that, she's not going to be very happy because the bag of oranges was for this person. But no, the original donor was even happier because not only did she give a bag of oranges, she gave this person a chance of something to give away. And the whole process of giving and, and the gladness of giving and, and the gratitude, this whole process of generosity and gratitude is something that, um, wonderfully celebrated in traditional um, Buddhist cultures, and it was my experience, and it took me quite a while to uh, get my head around this thing whereby people would would come and offer something, and I would receive it, and then they'd say, oh, thank you so much for letting me give you something, and I'm feeling, oh God, I don't deserve this, I'm busy being a selfish individual who thinks that they're receiving this thing, not witnessing the gladness and the beauty of this generosity. It's like it's like a whole frequency was turned off. Uh, tragic, really sad, uh, really sad actually. And uh, so I feel very, very indebted and very grateful for that example, and uh, I'm very fortunate to be able to travel to another culture and see something so different, so beautiful, that it activated or quickened, if you like, this this possibility, this recognition. And, Yes, this is common and garden variety conventional religion, but it's got its place, very much so. And so this, this disease or this disfigurement of consciousness that, that most of us suffer from a lot of the time, this knot of, of self-centeredness, it's not, uh, this is not, you know, it's not even something we need to take personally. Because that's, that's, that's one of the symptoms of, of being self-obsessed. We think that we're responsible for it. Yeah, we think that, you know, perhaps we even think we're the only one who's such a miserable, ungrateful so-and-so. But uh, this, is, this is an old disease. This has been around for a long time. Uh, 
And some some uh, some weeks ago, Ajahn Abhinanda gave a uh, uplifting, inspiring talk on gratitude to the community, and and quoted from the scriptures there where the Buddha was talking about what a rare thing it is in the world to feel gratitude for kindness done. So you know, this is uh, two thousand five hundred years ago. The Buddha said that because we might be suffering under the idea that all those Indians, you know, two thousand five hundred years ago were full of gratitude and kindness and generosity, but I seriously doubt it. I think um, what the Buddha was pointing out was uh, this: this is well, probably this is a universal disease, this disfigurement of consciousness, which causes us so much pain. Uh, it's not something that's new, it's not something that we alone are responsible for. And it's something that thankfully the Buddha and great teachers like Ajahn Chah uh, took the time to point out. So as I said, sometimes when we read these things we might want to bypass them. It's quite uh, popular amongst Western Buddhists to uh, dismiss a lot of the Asian Buddhist practices of making merit, talk in a pejorative kind of patronizing ways about girl guides and merits and all the rest of it, and not recognizing that actually, uh, or forgetting that actually the Buddha spoke a lot about, well, the Pali word is punya, and uh, the, the actual cultivation of virtue is something that we need to do. We've heard all the Dhamma teachings, well, not all, we've heard a lot of Dhamma teachings, we've heard enough Dhamma teachings to give us a faith, we've certainly got enough suffering, and we're not stupid, we're you know, intelligent enough, so, so how come the whole thing, we can't just drop the whole burden? Why doesn't it just click and be done with it? Well, there's, there's something missing. There's missing, and this storehouse of goodness is something that we can accumulate, we can cultivate. Now, talking like this, of course, the ones, one runs the risk of, of, um, kind of getting all materialistic about it. And, and so we're afraid of, of the idea of, of um, thinking about my virtue that I'm building up and getting all selfish about how spiritual I am. And there's um, good reason to be concerned about that. And, yeah, I know for myself, one of the reasons why I was against organized religion was because I'd seen enough of it in its um, false expression to, to not want to be involved with it. But we don't want to throw the whole thing out when actually there's a lot of goodness in there. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And so the uh, conventional practice of bringing the mind to bear on virtues like generosity like gratitude is a skillful thing that we can do. And what can we do about it? Well, one of the things we can do about it is recognize, become really aware, really, really take it on board, uh, how beautiful it is yeah, when we see it. Mm. They really register when we see how beautiful gratitude is. What a, what a uplifting, lovely thing it is. Um, well, I was in London a, a few days ago and staying with a couple of friends and um, one of them was talking about his experience on the tube and how uh, he was sitting opposite this uh, very elderly gentleman uh, who it seemed that they were, the train was slowing down and getting near his station and 
And so he was, this old, older man was preparing to get himself out of his seat. And um, as some of us know, that when you get a little older, it takes a little longer to get out of your seat. And so this man was struggling a bit. And, and so my friend was, was noticing, hmm, he's got this walking stick there. And the way he's going, it looks like he's going to forget his walking stick. And so he paid attention to it. And sure enough, the old person got himself out of his seat and, and was about to walk out the door and he was going to leave his walking stick behind. And so, so my friend reached over, grabbed his walking stick and, and passed it to him. I said, excuse me, sir, you, you've forgotten your walking stick. And, uh, and the gentleman turned around and uh, he was so glad that it had been pointed out to him. He said, oh, he said, I'm so grateful. He said, said, my wife gave me that before she died, and if I'd lost it, I would have been so upset. Thank you very much, and really expressed his gratitude to the point that he missed his station. And doors closed, and the, <laughs> the tube took off. But he didn't seem to mind, because the expression of gratitude was more important to him than getting off at the right tube station. And, uh, and so, yeah, as I was saying, this, this friend witnessed it, and as he was describing it, you could tell how uplifting that was. What, what, a, what a gift it was to witness uh, gratitude. Now, when something like that happens, uh, one way, of, of, one way of, of encouraging the growth, the development of this, this beautiful quality, uh, is to just make that very conscious. To, you know, wow, that's beautiful. Not just to get over it quickly and you know, forget about it, but to really make something, to hold the image in the mind. Of uh, a moment of gratitude and and the feeling in the body, so part of our traditional practice of wise reflection and bringing mindfulness to bear on something like gratitude, and you you remember the thought, you feel the feeling, you make much of it, and then likewise uh, the opposite, uh, when when in, you experience ingratitude, you know, maybe you reflect on your own ingratitude. And, and uh, I can certainly remember, uh, without any difficulty, <laughs> my lack of gratitude. And uh, I had a particularly painful moment, which I won't go into in detail, but it reg it's regarding my parents. And when I was about 18, and, and my father had had a, um, I think it was, a, I don't know, it was an angina or a heart attack or something, but anyway, he was very ill at the time. And some of the comments that I paid to my mother at the time were just so insensitive, so ungrateful, and you know, and you feel bad. And then as Ajahn Chah points out, you know, you're here today because your mother and father have helped you so many, in so many ways. You owe them a vast debt of gratitude. But because I hadn't actually dwelt on that virtue, I hadn't, that capacity was not alive within me, I said some really ungrateful, very hurtful, very unpleasant things at the time. And so, again, what can you do about it? Well, you can bring mindfulness to bear on the beauty of it when you see it and the pain of it when you feel it, its absence. And just that exercise in itself, um, you know, it's just to, well, what does that do? You become interested in it. You realize how, how, how important this quality of interest is in our spiritual practice. Not just moralizing, not just telling ourselves how we should be, but quickening interest. I don't want to be a miserable, greedy, selfish, contracted character. So, but just moralizing about, well, you should be different, you should be that, that's, that's up here. 
and it's up on the head, imagining the new improved Menendo. You know, and I go, oh, God, I'm so tired of that new improved Menendo. Yeah. But actually, coming into the whole being, the whole body mind, and when somebody expresses gratitude to somebody else or to you, what does that feel like? Yeah. I, um, I, I had a very dear friend, she'd passed away now, but a dear friend for many years in New Zealand, um, a German woman. I remember noticing how there were occasions where, whether it was myself or somebody else, offered to do something for her, or give her something, I can't remember exactly what it was, but maybe offered to do something for her, and she said, that's okay, I can manage, but thank you for offering. I thought, well, that's subtle. Not only did she say, oh, well, I don't need what you're offering me, but she was present for the beauty of the offering. The spirit, in other words, really not just the form of giving the thing, but the spirit. And that was helpful. That was a helpful example. Because sometimes our materialistically defined consciousness only sees the form very easily. And certainly that was my my case. That you know, She doesn't want it. She says, no, that's fine. But she didn't stop there. She recognized the beauty of the offering and would say, thank you very much for offering it. And that, uh, I think that's also a, uh, a useful contemplation to recognize the place for conventions, for forms, for manners. Yeah, there's something, um, I don't know where it came from. Again, I, well, I suppose, I suspect that it comes from the increased affluence and and the, so on one side it's the demise of conventional religion in our society and the ascendance of, of affluence and and me is getting more and more of what it wants more often and so it becomes more and more contracted and unhappy uh, despite what uh, we might think. The result of gratifying uh, my wishes all the time does not actually make me happy, it makes me more selfish and so um, the uh, experience of good manners in society, of conventions, of structures. Mm. Um, things have changed a lot these days. You never quite know what to do anymore. But we can invite, we can invent these things for ourselves. I, I find it useful. Again, if somebody's really into, I'm just going to go for the deepest teaching. I just want the spirit. I want pure consciousness. I want the real deal. I want, don't want this surface level of practice. Well, maybe they bypass conventions and forms and traditions and and this is um, I suppose on the conventional level of religion we see this how uh, this the process of of Buddhism integrating into uh, the West it was there in, in Asia for for 2,500 years and it's been here for about a hundred years and you can see all sorts of different processes of of adaptation and and one process is we have to adjust to the times and, and change things to meet the needs of uh, the local people, the culture, and so on. And, and then another approach would be, uh, well, we just take what's given, take this tradition <coughs> with all its trimmings and packaging, and just practice it as it is. And then if something's not real and not relevant, well, then it will fall away naturally over time. And so, uh, as you can probably imagine, I'm of the second uh, type. And uh, to just appreciate the form, appreciate the tradition, appreciate the convention, appreciate the rules, and see what is the spirit behind them. Because sometimes if we're in a hurry to 
change the convention, change the tradition, change the rules because we think that it's not going to work. Well, sometimes you never know, maybe we miss out on things. And so I, over the years, have come to really appreciate there's a, there's a real place for respecting and feeling grateful for the tradition. I, I certainly these days feel hugely grateful for this, this boring, stuck-in-the-mud old tradition that we belong to. I'm so pleased that it's stuck in the mud and it's not a tradition that is in a hurry to change. It's, a, it's like, like those oak trees down there by the lake, you know, they just don't seem to grow at all. I'd like to see them grow, but oak trees don't do that. Oak trees, they do grow, of course they grow, but you don't see them. And change in adaptation, of course, in our community, in our tradition, happens, but we don't necessarily see it. So, yeah, I was talking about rules and conventions and forms and, and using them. And I invented a rule for myself um, some time ago that it helped me uh, feel convinced that they're a good idea. I think after I ruined one or two pairs of glasses by sitting on them or standing on them, I think both, actually, I sat in one pair and stood in another pair, and that was really inconvenient. I invented a rule for myself. Okay, Menendo, you cannot put your glasses down anywhere where you're going to sit or stand. Give up on this mindfulness business. Just create a rule and keep to it. Yeah, so you can say, I'm going to be mindful all the time. I'm going to be mindful where I put my glasses. Well, like, no, I'm not mindful all the time, especially not in the morning. I woke up and I'm quite capable of putting my foot on my glasses. Or, yeah, yeah. And so I invented a rule. You're not going to put your glasses down on anything that you're going to sit on or stand on. I think I've broken it twice. And this is many, many years, maybe three times. But in many years, and it's, look, I've still got the same glasses. <laughs> There's the evidence. I'm very pleased with that. So anyway, with <laughs> getting back to the theme of this contemplation, uh, cultivation of gratitude, we can just think, well, can I, can I invent a rule or a form or something? You know, like last thing I go to at night before I go to bed, shall I just write down five things in a book that I'm grateful for today? Now, I'm not saying you should do that. I'm not telling you what your rule or your form or your structure or your convention should be, but not to bypass this level of practice. Uh, it can be very helpful. And we, if, if our mindfulness was all-pervading and unpolluted and undistorted, well, that would be a wonderful thing. But most of us are not like that. Most of us have a fairly fuzzy level of mindfulness, and so forms and conventions can help us. And so, uh, just to reiterate, the, um, the benefit of, of using um, the conventions of practice, like the traditional Theravada and practice of wise reflection, that, that when we see um, a gesture of gratitude expressed, to really take delight in it, to really feel, what does it feel like when we witness gratitude? And then the opposite, when we see ingratitude, when we see selfishness, self-centeredness. You know, I'm, reading, I'm reading a book at the moment about, what is it called, Surviving the Narcissist, I think it's called. And, and it talks about how boardrooms are full of narcissists these days, and, and it's all about me. And it gives you a checklist of, you know, you can tick these boxes if you think, and you can identify a narcissist. And, and um, 
Yeah, I think the, the psychologists have got it right. The psychotherapists have got it right. It's a, it's a terrible disorder, and there's a lot of it around. But, yeah, how do we survive it? Well, I think this wise reflection, not only does it help us survive others' narcissistic disorder, it can help us survive our own as well. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. <laughs> Bye. Bye.